Well, good morning. What an incredible day. You know, and this may, this may cause some, please don't, please don't fight amongst yourselves, but where, where are my, uh, where are my people that uh, Christmas does not happen until after Thanksgiving? Where are my, where are those people? We got a few. We got a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are my people that, that Christmas happens on uh, November the 1st? Like, that's the season. <laughs> this is, listen, this is how you know Christmas season is here. Number one, Starbucks rolls out all their Christmas cups. And number two, you start seeing Christmas announcements at church. <laughs> listen, I love Christmas so much. It wouldn't be the first time that we orchestrated some kind of Christmas in July party just because why not? Because, because why not? Um, yeah. Um, I had, um, so I, I was trying all yesterday afternoon to think of this creative way to share this story with you, something that, that, uh, that I did yesterday. And um, I could not think of a way to work it into my message, just a creative way to, to share this. So I'm just going to tell you the story. So yesterday, um, most of you probably know um, my family and I were we're uh, we're Canadian, and I grew up playing. What we used to be Canadian, yes. We used, sorry, thank you for the correction. We 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 were born in Canada and we are now Americans as of the past couple months. Yes, so. Um, Gladly, you know, wave the American flag, pledge allegiance, this, this is home, all that. But where I was going with that was that I grew up playing hockey, whether it was ice hockey in the wintertime or in, in gym class, whether it was uh, floor hockey or sometimes in the summertime we play ball hockey, all different forms of, of hockey. And I haven't actually had an opportunity to play any type of hockey in a very, very, very long time. Well, Johan, who is leading us this morning, um, had told me uh, probably a couple months ago that, uh, that he plays floorball, uh, you know, on, on Saturday mornings. And floorball is, is a, it's a variation of, of hockey. And so I said to him, I'm like, well, when you go and play, like, let me know the next time you go and play. I would love to go and, and play with you. Um, and then, so he was letting me know, like, you don't, you need a special stick. And so he hooked me up with a stick. He, he, he reached out to me Friday night. I said, absolutely. I'd love to go and play. And so I never quite, it's like all the, the variations, they're all just a little bit different. So I was, it took me a little while to kind of figure out the rules and what I could and could not do. And I got called for a few things that I was not allowed to do. Um, <laughs> I did not, you know, I got called for some stick infractions. I didn't hit anybody with my stick. See, he, he's going to, you can ask him afterwards. He will, he will, he will confirm, confirm my story. Um, but <laughs> so we were, there was, I think there was about 10 of us that, that were playing and uh, it was actually, it was really quite amazing. Everybody was, they were, they were all immigrants and most of them were from Europe. Um, and uh, so it was, it was a really great time. We were tied three, three, three. Let me tell you. 3-3, three, three. and um, it was the last few moments of the game, and uh, I received, a, if, if you're not familiar, just close your eyes and you just, just bear with me, like you'll, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to picture it. I received a pass as I was running full speed up the, up the court, 
and uh, battling almost one-on-one with a defender who is like right here, and I am to the right-hand side of the net, and I'm a, I'm a right shot, okay? And so I'm coming, and I am almost in much too close to even try to attempt a shot on the net, and I probably should have, you know, passed it behind me, but I thought, I looked to the net, and I had a clear shot, and I was standing about this close to the net, and I shot, and it went from here to the far upper corner, the left-hand corner, like, straight through the hole. Now, I say, it was amazing. Now, I say hole because there was no goalie, but we put this mat over, over, over the front of the net, and it's got holes in it, and it's got a, a drawing of a, of a goalie on there. And it went like, this is what we call top shelf, or you call top cheddar, or you can also call bar down, right? It was incredible. And um, one of the rules of, of the, this, this uh, friendly game was no excessive celebration, I really struggle with that, like with the, with the no excessive celebration, right? But instantly, whoo! And then I quickly put my arms back down and, um, you know, if I stood there all day long and I tried to do that again, never again would that happen. Never again. That was almost like a, a, a one and done. You know, I might have to hang up my floorball stick and just, just call it a career. Um, <laughs> and you can be honest. And so... We won the game 4-3. Me and Johan's our team. We won 4-3 on, on my winning shot. <laughs> I really do have a hard time not celebrating when, like, in things like that or when my team scores. Um, one time, this is, um, it might have been the last, the last Winter Olympics when Canada and, uh, and America were playing in the gold medal game. Actually, it was in Vancouver. And um, I was watching the gold medal hockey game in a house full of Americans, and it was Canada and America, and um, it was like, I think it was overtime, and um, when we, and people, so uh, we had come from behind, and uh, some of my American friends were right up in my face being like, oh, you guys are supposed to be the best, and all this, and I was really pretty mellow, keeping it all together, and then we scored in overtime to win gold, and there's like, honestly, I, I probably shouldn't have, but it was like involuntary. I jumped up and I screamed. The house went dead quiet. And I was like, yes! And I just did this and I sat back down and I said nothing else. Anyway. Oh, in our series on revival, I want to talk to you today. The title of my message is After the Beginning. Last week, I talked from Acts chapter 2, so if you've got your Bibles, you can stick your finger in Acts chapter 2, and then go to the left, um, about four books, and stick your finger into the very end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. So last week, I talked from Acts chapter 2, and uh, Peter makes this statement at the, at the, just, just as he's about to, uh, to begin his sermon after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room and there's you know, the sound of violent rushing wind and tongues of fire on people's heads and they were speaking other languages. And then Peter makes this statement, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. And now I want to talk about what happened after the beginning. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives us what we call the Great Commission. This is the mission of his church, what we are called to do. And by we, I mean every local expression of the church is called to this exact same mission worldwide for all time in some 
way, shape, or form, this is what we are all to do. We have the exact same directive. And now just to make sure that we're all on the same page, what is the church? We are, right? It's the people. So when I say that this is the, the, the directive to the church, this is the directive for us, the people. So in verse 18, it says, Jesus came up and said to them, he's speaking to his disciples, all authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually regardless of circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. So the authority and the direction to build the church was given right here in Matthew chapter 28. But they were missing something. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. We have authority and direction given by Jesus to complete his mission of building the church on the earth. The power of God is what I would call the secret sauce of building his church. See, I want the secret sauce of the Holy Ghost in my life. I want the, the, the power of God upon me and in me and flowing through me as I partner with Jesus, as I, as we partner with Jesus in building his church on the earth. I want you to, you can think, of, think about it this way. If you've ever run out of gas in your car, and it's only happened to me um, four times, twice in a car and twice in a mo on a motorcycle. If you run out of gas in your car, you can put your car in neutral, right, and have friends, really good friends, push you around and get you to the gas station. Those are really good friends that will push you, right? So you can do that. The car moves, it steers, it's difficult, but it's going to eventually get to where you want it to go. But if you put gas in the car, that unlocks and unleashes the power of that vehicle, Think of our lives as the car with, that is run out of gas. And when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it unlocks the power and the potential of our lives. And it's a lot more fun. Like literally driving a car that has fuel in it that you can actually turn on and step on the accelerator and you know, go 65, 85, 90 miles an hour down the freeway. That's a lot more fun than pushing your car down the street trying to get it to go somewhere. So last week, Acts chapter 2. Hold on, I, didn't, I told you to go there. If you're there, say I'm there. If you need a minute, say I need a minute. If you're just waiting for it to come up on the screens, screens just, wait, just wave at me. If you're awake, just wave at me. All right, I got you. Okay, 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 okay. So last week we talked in Acts chapter 2 about how the church was birthed in revival. And we talked about our need. I talked about our need to go back to what got us here today. And what got us here today is Jesus, right? It's Jesus, and, and, it was, and I described it this way because it says it this way um, in, the, um, in, in the Passion Translation. It's Jesus and the outpouring of the raging fire of the Holy Ghost, right? That's what got us here. It's the presence of God. 
And so today I want to look at starting in, in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 41, 41b, which just means it's just the second half of that, of that verse. Um, and I want to talk about what happened after that, after the beginning. All right, let me see. Acts chapter 41. Uh, the second, starting in the second part, it says, And on that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together and to prayers. And a sense of awe was felt by everyone, and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Day after day, they met in the temple area, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all people, and the Lord kept adding their number to their number daily those who were being saved. Many of the things that we would point to and say, okay, like that's revival, right? So when we talk about revival, we talk about an outpouring of the Spirit in a location, in a place, at a time, there are things that happen, and we would point to those things, and we would say, okay, that's how I know revival is taking place. And you, whatever revival you want to talk about, it could be talk about, you know, the, the, the Toronto blessing or the, 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 the Brownsville, Brownsville revival in Florida or in Pensacola or the, the, the Jesus people movement here, you know, in, in, in California. There's certain things that took place and people will point to those things and say, there, that's, that's revival right there. I'd like to suggest, and some of these, so some of these things, we're, we're talking like, like salvations and healings, right? Generosity, signs and wonders and miracles. But I'd, what I'd like to suggest to you today is, is that's not revival. They are a result of revival. They happen in revival, but they are not revival. Because revival is Jesus. It is the manifest nearness of the presence of God. And it's out of that nearness of God's presence, the presence of Jesus, that we see things happen. We see things that are commonly pointed to and saying, okay, that, that right there, that's revival. And so, and I know I touched on this a little bit last week and talking about this concept of the, the, the manifest nearness of the presence of God. And as I talk about this, you know, and even Renee did, is she uh, transitioned the service today, she talked about that moment where God showed up in the prayer room. And, but then she said, but like, he was always there, but then, but then he was there, right? So I want to I make sure that we have an understanding of this because it's important for us to, to catch that there is nowhere where God is not, right? So David in chapter, in, in Psalms 139, he writes this. This is just a little uh, a portion of it. He says, where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting for me. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me for your presence is everywhere bringing light into my night. See, God, this is, this is what we call um, omnipresent. God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere all the time. 
But then there are the times when he allows us to feel or he allows us to know that he's there. I want to give you some scriptural examples. Right in um, in Second Chronicles, probably about chapter six or seven, um, we read about the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. And after Solomon built the the temple, he gathered everybody together, and there was this big dedication. And then Solomon prays, and as after he's done praying, it says that the temple was filled with the cloud of God's glory. And then what happened, he said, the, all the priests were there because they were there and they were, they were going to do worship and offer sacrifices and all the priests were there and their, their job was to minister to the Lord. And it said as the cloud filled the temple, the priests couldn't stand to minister. And it just says that they, they all got down and they all just laid on the floor as the cloud of the glory of God filled the temple. It's almost like he's like... I like, to, I like to picture it this way, that God squeezed so much of himself into that room in that moment that there was no room to stand up, that the room was full. And so everybody just had to get on the ground and lay down in the presence as the cloud filled the temple. Then there's Acts chapter 2 that we talked about, right, in the upper room. We talked about that yesterday where one, one minute they're just there praying and then suddenly there was a sound of a violent rushing wind. Or in, in, in about probably Acts chapter 10, we read about Saul, whose name is changed to Paul, right? And we're more, more familiar with Paul, but Saul is on the road to Damascus, and he's actually traveling to, to find Christians, to find followers of Jesus, because he's going to arrest them. He's got a letter authorizing him to arrest people who are following Jesus, who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God to arrest them, to put them in prison, and some killed because he had oversaw the martyr of the very first, the very first martyr of the church, Stephen, was stoned to death. And it says in that, in that story that everybody laid their feet, laid their, their coats at the feet of Saul, who was standing there in approval. Saul's traveling on this road, and then suddenly Jesus shows up, and it talks about a brilliant light that both knocks Saul to the ground. So he's walking, he, knock, he knocks him to the ground and it also blinds him. And then Jesus begins to speak to him out of that light. See, in all three of those stories, God revealed the nearness of his manifest presence. One, one minute, everything was kind of what we, we would, what we would call normal. And then the next moment, God showed up. But it's not like he, was, he wasn't here, there, and then he suddenly came here, there. But he was, he's always everywhere all at the same time. But just in one moment, he let them know he was there. The other moments, you know, he was there, but they didn't really realize it. There's this, you know, like if you're at Walmart and you're grocery shopping or you, whatever you do, you're clothes shopping, or you're at work, right? Like God is there, but you're preoccupied. You're, you're doing something else, and you don't really know that God is there. But if someone came up to you and asked you, hey, where, where is God right now? You'd be like, well, he's everywhere, right? But then there's those moments where he allows you to know that he's there. That's the, that's the manifest nearness of the presence of God. See, that's that's what revival is. It's the presence of Jesus showing up where he's like, hey, I want you to know I'm here. I'm here right now. And when he comes, there are things that happen. And I'll, I'll put it this way. 
they happen easier or there's, there's an increase to them, to what happens, or there's an increased desire for, for things to happen and happen more frequently. For example, gathering of believers, miracles, generosity, healings, salvation, discipleship, signs and wonders, right? But what all of these things are, this is the smoke. It's telling us that there's fire, but it's not the fire. It's just the smoke. It's the evidence of the fire. God is here right now. He's here. Not, not just a part of him, not just some of him, because God doesn't give himself, he doesn't parcel himself out in pieces. When you receive God into your life, when you say yes to Jesus, you get him all. Now, you might not let him into every area of your life, and that's another conversation, right? But you have all of God. So when we cry out, I want more, what we're really crying out is I want to give you more. I want to let you into more areas of my life. I want to surrender more so that I can know you more, so that I can experience you more. See, what we're asking him for is to reveal himself with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in what we call revival. And when we read through Acts chapter 2, what we see happening in that revival is this, and I just put them together in a list, and I think the next slide is probably the list of all of these things. Number one, we see salvations, a lot of them, right? Like Peter preached the message, and 3,000 people said yes to Jesus in one day. But then it also says that the Lord kept adding to their number daily, daily those who were being saved. We also read that there was devotion to the word or it, what it says, it talks about the teaching of the apostles and what the apostles were teaching. If you remember when, when we read from Matthew chapter 28 and Jesus was giving them direction, he says to them, and teaching them all the things that I, to, to obey all the things that I taught you. This is what the apostles were doing. They were relaying all the things that Jesus had taught them and we have them now in, in the gospels and the, rest of the, and the rest of the word of God. But there's this the devotion to the word. There was fellowship. And this, in the, in the Greek, in the original language, this, is, this word is, is koinonia, which, which means to share and to have joint relationship and participation. This is, this, the believers were spending time together and they, they liked it. They didn't just spend time together because they had to, because it was a function of the church, because this, you know, they were all, well, it's time, you know, the, the apostles all called us together. It's time to meet together in the temple. But they, they were meeting together and they enjoyed it. They were sharing lives together. This is what we, we would almost call life on life. There was hospitality. They were bringing people into their homes to have meals together, to, to, to be hospitable to one another, to show in practical ways the love of Jesus on people around a table, around a meal. They prayed. There was a sense of the awe of the Lord. And this is also called the fear of the Lord. And what this is, it's, it's, it's the reverential, re, reverential respect for the presence of God. There was a time once when um, we, were in, we were in college. And over the summer, we, um, Renee and I traveled for the summer with, with our friend Trevor, who was here in, the, in, the, uh, in February. And we looked after his ministry team as he went around and did summer camps. And I remember one time we were at a, we were at a, at a youth summer camp. Um, and we'd stepped outside and we had just a, a moment of pre-service prayer outside. And, and I just 
I started to, to sense God's presence and I started to tremble and I started to cry. And I had no, there was like, nothing was happening. Like, like service hadn't even started and I was sitting on the front row and I couldn't even, like, I couldn't hold it together. I was crying, I was weeping, I was shaking, I was trembling. And what it was, it was just the sense, the overwhelming sense of the presence of God. It was this, this, this reverential respect and, and awe that God was there and he was letting me know he was there. It's the fear of the Lord. There was signs and wonders, miracles. There was generosity and concern for the well-being of the church community. They met in the temple, which we'll call large gatherings, right, like this. And then they met house to house in small or smaller groups. It wasn't one or the other. They, they did both. They gathered together in a big group, and then they met in homes in smaller groups. And then there was worship continually. So what I'd like to suggest about this list of 11 of 11 things, and there's, there's, there's more, but this is just what we see in the, at the end of Acts chapter 2. What I'd like to suggest is that all of these things, as followers of Jesus, these are all things that we should be doing regularly. We should pray. We should talk to people about Jesus and just share with them. You're just sharing your story, what he's done in you, what, what, he's, you know, what he means to you. You're just sharing that with them. And, and then you're just inviting them. Like, would you like to have the same experience? To have, you know, Jesus always with you, change your like all these incredible things. We should be meeting together like this as a church family in, in, large, in larger gatherings. And we should also be meeting in, in smaller, smaller groups, whether it's like small group that, that, um, that meets on Monday night that, that, uh, that Shelby leads, or whether it's serving on a team like a worship team or the media team. It's getting into a smaller group, a smaller setting where you're sharing life with one another. And we should be praying and seeing signs and wonders and miracles and healings and the things that we can't understand. We should be seeing these things. But we also see these things on a larger, I'll say like a larger scale, more consistent scale, more, more frequent. Because this is the fruit of revival. There was a young adult ministry um, nearby us when... when um, when we were in college, it was about three hours away and it was called Tehillah Monday. Um, and they were experiencing a revival. The young adult pastor there took uh, a 15 passenger van and he drove from, from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and he drove all the way down to, uh, to Florida, to the Brownsville revival that was happening. So this would have been early, early 90s. And he drove all the way down with a, a, a van full of his young adults just to attend and be a part well, they caught something there. They, they experienced the presence and the power of God in such a tangible way that when they came back, they brought it back with them. He, I, I have become friends with, with, uh, with this pastor, and, and he even shared, like, as they're driving, you know, the long drive back, they would stop at gas stations, and they would, you know, it's time to fill up the van and go to the restroom and, and get some food, and they would open the doors, and, and the students, the, the, the young adults wouldn't even be able to walk. They'd literally just spill out of the van because the glory and the presence of God had filled the van. When they, and, and so when they got back to, to Calgary and they got back to their regular meetings, they met every Monday night, they started to see revival happening. And one of the things, the most consistent things that they said that they saw was salvations week after week after week. Sometimes it was just one, but more, more often than not, there were multiple people coming to the Lord, five, 10, 
15, 20 at a time would come week after week. For years, this happened. And I'd say, you know, conservatively, on the low side, there were hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of people saved in that outpouring. I've, I've heard people talk about the Jesus people movement from the 70s. And I had a conversation with someone who, who, who lived through it and then was, you know, was active in ministry at, the, at that time. And he said, it was so easy at that time to see people say yes to Jesus. Like even walking down the street, he, he, said, he said, you couldn't do this, but it, this is what it felt like. It felt like you could walk up to somebody on the street and say, excuse me, peanut butter. And then they would say yes to Jesus just out of that, right? And th that's his words, not mine. But he said, obviously you couldn't say peanut butter and someone would say yes to Jesus. But he was like, that's how easy it was. People were just open to Jesus and they were saying yes to him. Just the mass salvations. See, there's this ease and a flow that comes in revival that's not there before. I've had the opportunity to attend prayer meetings in places that were experiencing revival. And, and just the the sheer intensity of the presence of God in those prayer meetings. It's like, you can't even describe it. You just have to feel it. And there was one time we went and we were going into pre-service prayer and they moved the pre-service prayer. Um, this again at that young adult uh, revival. They moved the pre-service prayer from the prayer room to the gymnasium. The church had a gymnasium. It was a full-size gymnasium with a full-size basketball court because there was too many people for the prayer room. And so they moved it to the gymnasium. And not only was there too many people for the, for the prayer room, and they moved it to the gymnasium, but there was a lineup to get into the prayer room. And we, I think we kind of stumbled on it by accident, wondering what, what's this line of people? And we, so we just started following the line. And then when we got to the door and you, you, you stepped inside, there was this prayer room with hundreds upon hundreds of people praying before the service even started. I've, I've heard stories and I've, I've read stories of, of incredible miracles and healings that have taken place in the midst of revival. And one, one, one that I'm familiar with, there was a young man who um, did not go to the church, but he was connected. He had friends and family at, at the church, and, and he, had, he had tragically committed suicide and was at the hospital and, and pronounced dead. And, and some of his friends had found out about it, and they, they called the pastor. And the pastor said, well, what are you going to do? And they said, we're going to the hospital and we're going to pray for him. And so a small group of these young adults went to the hospital to pray for this young man who had hung himself and was dead. And he'd been dead several hours. And they asked if they could see the body. And they let them in and they stood around him and they began to pray. And they began to worship. And suddenly he started to breathe. And this young man came back to life. He was resurrected and raised from the dead. And he's an airline pilot today. Renee alluded to this a few weeks ago. But we were at a, a service once, and the pastors were, two of the pastors were standing on the stage, and they were just giving prophetic words to people in the, in the crowd. And looking out, I was sitting on this side of this side of the room, and I was on the edge, the aisle, about three or four rows from, from the back. Because it was during worship, a lot of the people had come forward, and the pa one of the pastors did this, and he pointed, and he pointed in my direction, but he was pointing to somebody who was standing in the aisle just behind me, and he was about, you know, two or three rows behind me, 
And so as he starts giving the prophetic word to him, I, I turned around to see and to, to watch and to look at, the, look at the young man. And when I turned around, there was nobody around him. I was probably the closest person to him. And then all, all of a sudden, this was one of the most wild things I'd ever seen. All of a sudden, with nobody around him, he flew backwards. Like he didn't run backwards, but it was almost like the hand of God hit him in the chest boom, because he flew backwards, like his hands and feet were like, both, like they were all out, and he flew backwards through the air about 10 feet, and he hit the back doors to the auditorium, and the, the back doors, boom, they, they like blew open, and he rolled backwards through the lobby until he came to rest on the, on the wall, at the back wall, and I'm like, I'd never ever, have, I'm, I'm like, and the coolest, one of the coolest parts of the whole thing was, the ushers walked over there and they did this, one on either side. They just held the doors open so that he could hear the prophetic word. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what on earth? And I, I actually, I, I spoke with that pastor many, many years later and I was, I was asking him questions about his experience in revival. I'm like, so I asked him, because I, I want to know, I'm like, what is the most wild thing that you have ever seen? And he said that story was the most crazy thing he had ever seen. These are some of the things that I've, I've personally seen in, in revival. But they're not contained to revival, and they are not revival. It's just, it's, it's the, the impact, the frequency of these things. It's, it's the, the heart of people to be involved and to come together and desiring to be used by God. Not just about the, the, the pastors or the, or the worship team or, 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 or that, but it's, it's, it's taking what happens inside the service, inside the building, and it's taking it outside because God's not contained here. We've already talked about that. He's everywhere all the time. And in revival, it's like he comes near and he lets people know that he's there and he's near. The supernatural activity of God is, is widely seen. And, and there's, we can be so easily distracted, though, by these things. We can be so easily distracted and be like, man, did you see that time that guy flew through the air? Or, or did you, you know, that, that time, and there's, there's, um, there's another church that, that had, that had a, a, what they just call a glory cloud showed up in their services. In worship services, there was just this cloud that formed in the room for weeks on end, weeks on end, and it just formed and it kind of swirled in the room. And we could be like, wow, like, that's, I don't even know. I don't even understand. But we can become distracted with the cloud and, or with the mass salvations or, or, or with the healings. And you're like, how can we be distracted by the things that God is doing? Because it's the things that God is doing. It's not, it's not him. We can't get distracted by the, by, the, by the smoke or the fruit of revival. We have to stay focused on Jesus because it's about Jesus. It's not about all the stuff. We love all the stuff, right? We can even be so distracted by like times of worship where worship is just powerful and it's intense. And listen, I love worship just as much as the next person. You know, maybe even more. I love worship. And maybe it's because I like, I can't. Like I'm not, I, I don't have the, the skill set to do it, but I love times of worship. But I can be so distracted by times of worship that I can begin to worship worship instead of worshiping Jesus. Because it's not about the worship experience. It's about encountering Jesus. Last week, I touched on this, the, the value of waiting well. 
What are we doing while we're waiting for the Lord on revival and these outpourings? We need to be doing those things. Those are the things that we need to be doing while we're waiting. See, what it's, I, I, I would say it this way. What we learn in the presence of God, we practice in principle until the presence of Jesus comes again in revival. This is what we, this is, there, yeah, but the, the list, go back to the list. Um, this is what we've learned by reading through revival and scripture, right? And so we learn that in the presence. This is what happened in the presence of Jesus, that manifest nearness of the presence of Jesus. And so we've learned that. And so when, we do, when we're not experiencing that revival, that outpouring, we do those things until we experience that again. But then, the, then there's the, these things are not intended to be the goal though, right? They're, they're meant to lead us to the presence of Jesus. It's like, 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 why do you read your Bible? To learn? Yeah, we, sure, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why we, we, we read our Bible. This is what Christians do, right? <laughs> right? If you're going to ask somebody like what Christians do, I'm sure one of the things that they're going to say is they're going to read their Bible, right? That's, that's, that's what we do. Um, but reading the, we, I know it was a trick question, so I apologize, Linda. We don't read our Bible just to learn. We read our Bible to encounter Jesus. We read our Bible to meet with the author. Yes, we learn. Yes, we're transformed and we're changed, but that happens through encounter, right? We can get, we can get so stuck on the principle. The principle is reading the word. This is what, what we need to be doing, what we should be doing, that we miss Jesus in reading the word because you, you, you read and it's not like, okay, I, I read, read a chapter, done. Now I can go on with the rest of my day, right? No, if you, if you read three words, four words, and suddenly you're like, oh, what is, like, I, I, I'm, I recognize this feeling. This feels like, this feels like, like Jesus. Then you need to stop. And you'd be like, Jesus, what are you saying to me? See, because you're, you're reading it to encounter him, not just to plow through and to check your box. So we don't do these things to do them to check the box. We do these things because we're, we're looking for, we're getting our, what I'll, I'll just call it this, we're, we're, we're get, we get our feelers out there and we're feeling for the time that we sense his presence. And when we sense his presence, then we, we stop and we pause because that he's meeting us right there in that moment. I had a conversation, and I didn't ask permission, so I'm not going to use names, but I had a conversation with somebody during the week, and they were talking about the encounter with God that they had in church on Sunday last week, and how that spilled out, and it, it, it spilled out from here, and they were, they were relaying the, the feeling that they had, and what they said was, they said this in the conversation, they said, it reminded me of the times when I was out on the streets ministering to people. I would have that same feeling, that same sense of the presence, and I was like, yes! That's what we're looking for. We're looking for those moments when you're sensing the presence of Jesus in the midst of your ministry. You're doing all the things, right? You're meeting in your small group. You're, you're having people over for dinner, but then, you're, but then something happens and you shift and your feelers say, hey, whoa, Jesus just walked in the room. And now you shift your attention from the meal, from the small group to whatever it is you're doing. And you're like, Jesus, you are welcome here. What do you want to what now? What, what do you want to do? And you give attention to Jesus. I'm skipping through a large section of my message because I talk too much. But I want to share this kind of in, in closing. 
Bill Johnson wrote a book called Open Heavens, and he, makes, he, he, he uses this analogy in, the, in this book, and I wanted to read it to you. He, he said, you don't grow apples by trying to grow apples. You grow apples by attending to the health of the apple tree. The tree provides the fruit if we take care of the tree. The growing ministries, the great number of conversions and greater influence in society are the apples. He's talking about the fruit of revival. And he says, it's all the fruit of something else. As long as we make sure the tree, seeking God's face, is the priority, bearing supernatural fruit that glorifies him is normal and natural. But we have to take care of the tree. The tree is Jesus. Revival is Jesus. And so when we attend to that, the other stuff will come. And now we can get into the, the danger of comparing. Well, I've, I've got this small apple and it's kind of green. But that church down the street, their apples are bigger and they're red and they're like, wow, they're almost falling off the tree. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the fruit of revival. It means that their fruit is more mature, that they're farther down the road than we are. And we can get distracted on, well, I guess I don't have revival. I don't have the outpouring of the Spirit. We can get distracted by that, and then we stop attending to the tree because we're focused on the apples. We have to come back to seeking the face of Jesus. And I, I know that this, I'm like beating the same drum. I'm saying the same thing in different ways. But honestly, I'm, 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 I'm preaching for something that's to come. I really felt that in this series. I'm preaching for what's to come. I'm talking about things before they, they, they show up in, 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 in like that more frequent way. So my challenge as I close today, my challenge to us is to make sure that we are doing the things that we've read about that flowed from the midst of revival. And as we do, we watch for him. We are staying sensitive to his presence. We're crying out for him to come and for more. And we're consistently and constantly seeking his presence that he would come and pour out the Holy Spirit on us and we would continue to see the evidence of revival in our midst, the things that we can't explain. But we would never lose sight of his face because we can never replace his presence with activity. But we remain active while we seek his presence and we wait for him. So what am I doing in the waiting? What are you doing in the waiting? Are you engaged in those, in those things? And if not, hear me. You know, it's, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's none of those things. It's just a personal assessment. This is really between you and Jesus. But if you're like, you know what? I'm really not doing those things. Well, then it's not too late. Start today. Join us in the prayer room next Sunday. We're there from 9.30 to 10.15. Jump in a small group. Find a way to serve on a, on a team here at the church. Get into a, a smaller area. Invite somebody over for dinner. Someone from the church, some, your neighbor, someone that you don't know, which I know is scary. We don't, you know, it's not a common thing 
not a common thing for us to do these days, invite strangers into our homes. But I just, I mean, I was just reading through Genesis this morning. They did it all the time. Stranger came to the city. Hey, come over for dinner. You know, most of us would probably be slightly terrified, uh, me included. But like, invite people into your home. Show hospitality. Talk to them about Jesus. Share the story of what he's done in your life. It's two things that I, that I believe. I believe revival is coming here. That there is an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be released in this place. It's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be so much better than we thought it could be. The other thing that I believe is that it's already here. That it's already started. We just need to continue to attend to the tree. Continue to seek his face. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for the evidence of your presence. Prophetic words, intense and powerful, intimate times of worship with our eyes on you. Salvations and people being drawn to your presence. I thank you for what's taking place in our church that we haven't shared all the stories of. I see it. And I thank you for it. But I turn my face to your face. I continue to cry out Show me your glory. I want to see your face hungry for more, more of you, to surrender more, to know you more. So Father, I ask for more. I ask for an increase, outpouring of your presence. And all that comes with it, all the stuff. But Holy Spirit, never let us get distracted by the, the fruit Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus at all times. Amen. If you're here this morning and um, you need prayer for something specific, then I'm going to invite you to come and I'd love to pray with you. And we've got some, some of our prayer team that's here and, and uh, we would love to have the opportunity to, to pray for you. And uh, I just want to, I love you guys. I really do. We're we're about to experience something together as a family that's going to be pretty amazing. And I'm really excited about it.